Every new year, we make decisions about who we want to be. We make resolutions, we set goals. Often these goals are focused on ourselves. Losing weight, saving money, even the best goals are often self-centered. Christ did not call us to live that way. When there's more of God, you're selfless. New Year, new series. Let's discover how we can change our world with this New Year series, Selfless, starting now. So we've been in this amazing series called Selfless. Selfless. And I don't know how many of you have been blessed by this series, but just the preparation that I have taken behind the scenes to prepare these messages, uh, myself, Pastor Christian as well, uh, doing last week's, did a fantastic job on last week's message. If you have not listened to the first three parts of this series, you want to go back and listen to it. I believe you'll be blessed by it. But one of the things that has really stood out to me is that oftentimes when we think of being selfless, we think about, well, God wants me to, uh, to be selfless in the sense that he wants me to think less of myself. And really, it's not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. And there's a very distinct difference between thinking less of yourself and thinking of yourself less. The heart of the gospel, the heart of Christianity is selflessness. The heart of everything you read in the New Testament. Why did the church thrive? Not because they were really cool and they had great media because they had no media. They, they didn't have PowerPoint. They could only point with power. Right? Three people got that one. They didn't have funky cool outros so that kids can go to uh, Sunday school or whatever. Right? They didn't have those things. You know what they had? The Holy Spirit and reliance upon Him. And when you rely on the Holy Spirit, you think of yourself less. Honestly, you, the, the reason why the church thrived is because people thought of themselves less. Not less of themselves, but thought of themselves less. The New Testament church was a generous church, was a giving church, was an honoring church. They honored the person next to them because they realized they weren't the only ones created in God's image. Hello? I'm not the only one created in God's image in this room. Everyone with a pulse has a purpose. Everyone with a purpose has a calling. Everyone with a calling has a God to lean on that calling. You with me? It all stems from living a life that is selfless. So I love how we gonna, we're going to jump into this. This morning's message is entitled, Grateful in the Grind. Grateful in the Grind. This is part four of the series, and people are just jumping out. It's amazing. The, the, the excitement. Stuff is just popping. First Corinthians tells us this. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. How many believe that's part of what the church should be doing? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Would you do that? And turn to chapter 15 because I want to talk to you this morning about the prize. I want to talk to you about the prize. The grind and the prize. Well, let me talk about the prize for a moment because the prize isn't something that is out there. Follow me. 
The prize isn't out there. I'm going to go out there and get the prize. The prize isn't what you accomplish occasionally. You know what the prize is? The prize is in what you do daily that will allow you to receive that prize. He said, give us this day our what bread? Our weekly. Give us this day our Sunday bread. Isn't that how it went? No. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And somehow, Christianity has faltered that somehow I'm going to go to church so pastor can tell me what God is saying. Listen, that's what they did years ago and they, when they relied on the priest, when there was no outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can go to God daily and say, God, show me what this means. Show me what it is you're trying to tell me. Give us this day our daily bread. And so the Holy Spirit's and, and ability to work in our lives every single day, that is where God begins to get the glory, not just on Sundays. Pastor, let me get my Bible because you said turn to first. I remember this book. This was a good one. There's a problem when that's our reaction to the scripture. God says, you know what? What if every single day I want to work in you? What if the work is the reward? What if, what if the prize is in the process? What if somehow whatever I'm going through, there's a reward smack dab in the middle of it. I don't always see it because I'm so focused on the problem that I forget the prize in the process. And so sometimes the process is slow. How many agree with that one right there? Process is slow. I don't know what God is doing. Yes? Some of you just got it. Some of you are like, what just happened? Eeyore just started preaching at me. But let me tell you right now, quitting doesn't speed up the process. It just eliminates any possibility of progress. Quitting is always going to be an option. No matter what people say, quitting is not an option. Oh, quitting is always an option. It is a high-profile option for some. It is a possibility. It is a vulnerability. And it is a probability for some of us. Because some of us have quit so much that it doesn't hurt us anymore to quit. Look at me. The process, there's a miracle in the middle. There's a miracle in the process of what God is doing. God allowed it for a reason. There's a miracle in the middle. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what happens in the grind, every single day I grind, every single day I go to work and I do this, and every single day I grind, I grind, there's a miracle in that grind somewhere. you got to be grateful for it. you got to understand that it's there. Somebody say amen. Come on. I will preach twice as long. There's a miracle in the middle. Somebody say it. There's a miracle in the middle. Some of you got to confess that in your life right now because some of y'all are this close to quitting. And I'm here to tell you quitting is an option. I'm tired of people saying quitting is not an option. Quitting is an option. It is the easy way out. 
It is the easiest option. You could quit on your marriage. You could quit on your job. You could quit on whatever it is. You can quit. You can quit. I'm not saying the repercussions will be worthwhile, but I'm saying it's an option. I'm tired of people making Christianity to be something canned that we can just say, you know what? Quitting is not an option. We must persevere. No, quitting is an option. You have to choose to stay in the game. You have to choose to grind it out. And when it gets tough, guess what? You can get through it. Because if you could not get through it, God would not give it to you. If you couldn't get through it, God wouldn't put you through it. And I'm, tra- I'm trying to teach our, our, our people here, and the, the church worldwide needs to understand this, that quitting is always an option, but I'm not going to be in the mix. I'm going to choose to follow. So what if we could be grateful in the ground? What does that look like? What if I could say, you know what, Pastor Tony? Maybe you're right. I, I, I feel like I should quit. But right now, I'm not going to quit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians for a moment. Chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. And it reads like this. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, he didn't try to erase who he was. God's not trying to erase who you were because who you were is going to help him help other people become who they are. Did you get that? Write that down. That's tweetable. Who you were is going to help people become who they are and who God has called them to become. So don't erase your past. Let God do the erasing. Let God work on that. But you got to realize I am what I am today because of the grace of God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying the only reason why I'm here is because of the grace of God. And his grace, watch this, and his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, when I got his grace, something happened. Something in me shook. Something in me changed. Some of you haven't been shook in a long time because you've been so used to quitting this and quitting that and quitting here and quitting there that it no longer hurts you. It's second nature. God is telling you today, you can't quit or you can follow me. You can't stop or you can fall forward. And I love the concept that God was never done even with Saul who later became Paul. You know who I'm talking about. The guy who killed Christians and later wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The guy that made a difference, not because of his past, but because God was in his present. God will take your past. He'll use your past. But give him the present. Give him right here, right now. Give us this day our daily bread. And so the grind is the daily. And we don't want that grind, do we? How many, like, how many look forward to go, man, I cannot wait to grind it out this week at work. Right? It doesn't have a positive twist to it, does it? I can't wait to work really, really hard. I can't wait to have sweat coming down my brow. It's going to be so exciting. Unless it's working out and you realize there's a benefit to that. But anyway, right? There's a grind in there. Most of us don't cheer on the grind. But what if we could be grateful for the grind because we realize in that grind, 
God is still in the middle. He's in the middle. He goes on to say that the God's grace was not without effect. No. He goes, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. 1 Corinthians 15. So I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about three enemies of heaven's reward. I believe God has a reward for believers. How many believe that God has a reward for you? If you don't believe that, you have not read Revelation. Because there is a reward. There is a time and a place and a situation to which God will, will send back his son here to return to grab his church, crack the eastern sky, and bring us home. And after that day comes, there will be a judgment. That judgment will be the believer standing before God. Well, there's two judgments, and I won't go into that. But the one judgment is the judgment where God will reward all the believers by what they have done. But there are some rewards that God gives us here. There are some things that God allows us to experience here. Somebody say amen. Like you don't have to wait for all your rewards later, right? Imagine if, if your, your, your credit card had rewards points and they were like, you won't see them here, you'll see them in heaven. Like, but, but just trust us, it's there. You'd be like, no, I want to see them now, right? There's some things that we want now and that's okay. And there's some things that as believers, God wants to reward you with. But there are some things that selfishness allows us never to see. Uh, the selfishness puts us in a place we will never, ever experience that reward. So here's a few of them. Okay? There are things that can steal your reward here on earth. And here are three enemies, I believe, of the Christian faith. Number one, the first enemy is the pillow. Not sleeping in, but the seduction of comfort. The seduction of comfort. And here's what I came up with. The idea that there is some sort of comfort that happens. And comfort breeds three things that I wanted to share with you this, this morning. Comfort breeds familiarity. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you've been in the church a long time, you have a familiarity, right? That's a, that's a tricky word to say. Maybe it's just because I'm from the Bronx. Familiarity, right? When you become familiar with something, you know what happens? You become self-righteous. You've been in church so long that you know how this works. You know how this is. And that familiarity is, a, is started with comfort. I'm comfortable where I am. Comfort does not go well with selflessness. In fact, comfort breeds familiarity, that self-righteousness where selflessness doesn't. Comfort also breeds complacency. What ends up happening is we're so familiar with everything that we lack desire now to do what we must do. Or at least what we should do, right? Some of us, won't, I won't get a lot of amens on this, I realize, because we're looking at ourselves. And I get that, because I, I, as I was even preparing this, I said, God, where am I in this? And I, I realize that there's some familiarity in my heart. There's some complacency in my heart. And that comfort is not good for the Christian faith. The third thing is that comfort breeds apathy. Isn't that right? We, now we don't care as much. Why are we doing a can drive? 
well, we got to fill the calendar with something. No, we're doing it because the church needs to stay loving. When the church stops loving, it ceases to be the church. It's now an organization with religious overtones. God forbid. God forbid that Freedom Life or any church that is the church of Jesus Christ will be so apathetic that we're no longer the church and God's hand extended. We become an organization with religious overtones and some good Christian songs that make you raise your hand. God forbid. Somebody say God forbid with me. Please, I just want to make sure I'm not the only one. Because I got a lot of looks like, yeah, I don't know. Sure. No, 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 no. Church, we can't be so familiar. We can't be so complacent. We can't be so apathetic that everything is everything and everything is nothing. And let's kumbaya and they'll figure it out. And we're not going to be a part of things because it's too much work. Can I just go to church, sing some songs, give my kids something to color? They'll bring it back to me. I'll say, what a great job, even though they completely painted outside of the lines. Who taught them that? Not me. And head home and do everything we've done last week. I said something a few weeks ago that, has, that came out my mouth, and it hurt me as much as it hurt everybody else. And is, the question is this, do I want 2019 to be different or do I want 2018 be? And at the moment I said, it was not in my notes, it was not in my thoughts, it was, it was something that just came out of my spirit. When I said it, people said, ouch, and, and I said, ouch. Because sometimes I settle with B of whatever because it's a continuation. Why? Because it's familiar. Why? Because it's complacent and, I'm, and I, we are comfortable with what we know, right? I don't want 2019, 2018 B. I want a fresh revelation from God. I want a fresh anointing from God. And it doesn't happen when we're selfish. Ten signs that your Christianity has begun too comfortable. You ready? I'm going to shoot through these because they're ten. Number one, you're not attending church with a high level of expectancy. Number two, you no longer seem to be concerned about the spiritual condition of neighbors, family members, and coworkers. Three, you haven't had a spiritual conversation with a non-Christian in a long time. Number four, the Bible seems like a history book and it's lifeless to you. I pity that feeling. Number five, the happiness on Sunday mornings is more important than what it takes to reach the unchurched. Your happiness supersedes reaching the lost. As long as you get your parking spot, which some of it may be at Biter's this morning, your seat, you hear the music you like. I like this song. I'm going to lift my hands. I don't like this song. You ain't getting your hand from me. As if somehow that's supposed to impress me or anybody else. It's about God to begin with, isn't it? I'm not doing this for anybody else. Let's move on quickly. Number six, the suffering of the poor doesn't concern you. Number seven, pictures of overseas suffering doesn't move you to action. There are Christians right now getting killed in parts of our world because they believe in Jesus. And we struggle with a little bit of 
not the right temperature in the room. Number eight, you do not give your financial resources sacrificially. Number nine, your prayers don't seem to be making it past the ceiling. I pray and what just happened because I don't know what just happened. Number 10, it doesn't even dawn on you that God could do something incredibly radical in your life right now and it's not even in your radar. Friends, 10 signs that you are, your, your Christianity has become too comfortable. Living selfless, friends, is not about living comfortably. It's about living effectively. And when you're selfless, you're effective. When you're selfish, you're not. That's simple. We cannot be effective when we're selfish. See, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecution. That doesn't mean that that's what they should always be doing. But they were married to that. They understood it. Poverty, prisons, persecution. That was part of the faith. The church today is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. And I believe that is what God spews out of his mouth. Am I right or am I right? I'm right because I have the microphone. And it's true. The church in the New Testament, does it look anything like today? There's not going to be, there's going to be some things that are different. I get it. But that selfishness, that selfishness rears its face and we no longer become effective. Here's the thing. If Christianity was made up, and some have thought this, Christianity was made up. I don't even think people, um, you know, this was even true. I, I believe in some form. It's a history book, but this was made up. Can I tell you something? If you were going to make up a faith, wouldn't you make one up that's a little easier? Because this thing is hard sometimes, right? If you were going to make up a faith, wouldn't you make up one that made sense? Turn the other cheek? That's hard. They ask you to walk a mile, walk two? What? Especially as cold as it is. Frostbite before I leave the parking lot. What do you mean? Listen. This thing is not made up. This thing happened, and Jesus Christ is real. He's coming back, and he's coming back for a selfless church. I'm glad I got an amen because I would have to preach louder. If Christianity was made up, you don't think that they would have made this thing easier? Understandable, comprehensible, logical? Not like this. For sure. The comfort zone is nice, but it never grows there. It never grows. Comfort is a zone you don't want to live at. You may pass through, but don't live there. You'll never grow. And because of that, you'll never go. And because of that, you'll never fulfill God's commission for your life. Because God has called everyone in this room to go. He's called everyone to go. That doesn't mean a foreign country, but go and tell somebody about what I have done in your life. Are you hearing me? The comfort, that's a nasty, nasty thing, right? The second thing, or I'll talk about the pillow. It's number one. Number two, the shiny thing. 
Shiny things. How many realize when kids are real little, they really, really, really get attracted to shiny things? Right? You ever seen that? The shiny thing. You put a bunch of uh, dark things in a room and then put a little, and you see the smallest of children, that's all they look at. The shiny thing. Anything that sparkles, they're like, ooh, right? That's because they're young and they run to shiny things. And there are some believers, look at me, there's some believers that have been in the faith way too long to be chasing the shiny things. Way too long to chase the shiny things. Church, hear me. Hear, what I, hear my heart here. That if you are a believer that's been in the faith a long time, listen to me. Stop chasing the shiny things. What are the shiny things? The shiny things are distractions. One of the biggest things the enemy knows that he can do or rather that he can't do is destroy you. But you know what he can do? Distract you. What he can't destroy, he'll distract. Write that down. That's a good one. What he can't destroy, he will distract. Why? Because throughout all of history, in his word, we have found countless stories of believers, people that follow God, distracted by one thing or the other. I want us to see the distractions in the Bible. You ready? Distractions are universal. Everyone in this room has been distracted. Some of you have been distracted since I started. Right? Welcome back. Some of you have been thinking about lunch, the weather outside. Is Pastor Christian still going to shuttle me back to my car? Whatever that looks like. Some of you are just tuned in. Welcome back. Because distractions are a normal thing of life, right? It's, it's normal. But we can't camp out there. The Bible is full of people, starting from Genesis, that were distracted, right? From the very beginning, Eve was distracted. But it didn't end there. Eve then distracted Adam, which women often distract men. True story. Wine distracted Noah. Hagar and Ishmael distracted Abraham. Sodom distracted Lot's wife. She regretted that one. Hunger distracted Esau. Dreams distracted Joseph. Maybe I shouldn't tell my brothers that I'm going to rule over them. Oh, well, let's tell them anyway. (laughs) Anger distracted Moses. Speak to the rock. No, I'm going to strike it. Rebellious children distracted Eli, women distracted Samson, Jezebel distracted Elijah, David distracted King Saul, Bathsheba distracted David, waves and wind distracted Peter. Many things distracted Martha. (laughs) Wealth distracted the rich young ruler and false religion distracted the Pharisees. They were so focused on what was not right they failed to see what was right. Church, these are just a few distractions in the Bible. I had to omit them. I found this list and I was like, there's too many. But are you seeing the pattern? Am I at least giving you a understanding that distractions is a part of the enemy's plan and it's a pattern a very visible pattern for you look at me the selfishness that God is calling us to be 
and to walk with. That selfishness heightens our impact and awareness of the world around us. Is that true? When we start realizing that we're not the focal point of all of the universe, we can then focus on what God really cares about. Right? So watch this. The third thing is the towel. The first one was what? Somebody tell me. The pillow. The second one was what? The third one is the towel. The towel is the perpetual temptation to quit. And here we go. However, Acts 20 verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of identifying the good news of God's grace. There's a story in Luke 6, and I'm going to kind of bring this to a close in this thought here. We look at Acts 20, we see that we have a course to finish. God has a place for you to land when all is said and done. Did you realize that? There's a race for you to run and a place for you to land. I want us to look at the middle, the miracle in the middle here for a moment, and let's look at Luke chapter 6, and this is where I'm bringing everything to fruition. Are you ready? Luke chapter 6. If you're not there, turn there. Luke chapter 6. I'll wait. Luke chapter 6. When you got it, say, I got it. Okay. Luke chapter 6. The story in Luke chapter 6 is amazing. It tells a fantastic story about persevering through what seems like obvious opposition. How many know, real quick show of hands, how many realize that when Jesus walked around, there were people waiting for him to do something wrong? Right? Some of you are like, that's where I'm most like Jesus. I feel like people are just waiting for me to mess up. Right? Continue to be like Jesus. It's okay. Because something amazing stood out to me as I read this. This passage came across to me as I was studying and I realized Jesus did something amazing here. Now, some of you have read the story. Maybe even most of you have read the story. But let me read this to you really quickly. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of the grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of them, the Pharisees, said to them, Why are they doing what is, what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Here we go, Sabbath time. Don't work on the Sabbath, right? That was a big thing. But Jesus. But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate of the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He said to them, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also he entered into the synagogue and taught. This is another time, by the way. Right? A man was there. Let me see. Wait. So... So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely. Hello? <laughs> they watched him closely. Whether they would heal, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, and they might find accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. Say that with me. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. He arose and stood. Right? Like there was a man there with a withered hand. And he said this, Arise and stand here. 
And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around all of them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. And they were filled with joy. Unspeakable. No, I'm sorry. That's not what they said. They were filled with rage and discussed to one another what they might do to Jesus. They were filled, instead of with joy, they were filled with rage. Why? Because they were comfortable in what God had offered them in the previous. They were comfortable with everything God did before. Don't change it. Don't insult what we have done so that you can help this man. Instead of being filled with joy. Instead of saying, now wait a second. We teach not to heal on the Sabbath. But here's this man who his whole entire life had a withered hand. And now he's healed. Why? Because they never walked with a withered hand. They never walked as one with a withered hand. The moment we don't walk in the shoes of those around us, we lose our sincerity. We lose our authenticity. We lose our, all the opportunities that God has for us to minister to them. Jesus was teaching something that day. He was teaching them, listen, that even though they knew, watch this in verse 7, they looked for a reason. And they watched him closely. Right? They looked for a reason and they watched him closely. And what did he do? Well, I don't want to offend anyone, so I'm going to walk away and let this man walk the rest of his life with a withered hand. No. It doesn't matter where you've been. I'm doing a new thing. Be healed. And there he went from a nub to and his hand was just like the other, made whole. So let me ask you a question here today. Can God meet you at your worst? Can God step up and, and minister to and through you? And the answer is undoubtedly yes, yes, and yes. It's hard to, to look around the room and realize, man, they're looking for me to mess up and they're looking for me to mess. They're watching me closely, but guess what? Be healed. Speak into lives, no matter who's looking. And instead of being filled with joy, they were filled with rage. That's how you know God was not in their faith. They lost it a long time ago. Because there were some that embraced Jesus. Did you ever read that in the scriptures? There were some, Josephus, right? He gave up his grave. said he could use my grave. God's like, don't worry, it won't be for long. It's just a borrowed tomb. It's not a permanent thing. I want to tell you something. Don't give up. Because he could have backed off and said, you know what? I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just going to be in the back seat. I'm not going to really do anything. That People might think I'm a little bit weird. Some of you have sat back in your faith because you didn't want anyone to think less of you at your job or your school. So you've taken a back seat in your faith. And in that, can I tell you something? It's another form of quitting. You don't want to hear that, I know. But I'm trying to tell you something. God is in the middle 
right there. Jesus healed that man because Jesus healed that man because he was willing enough to not care what everybody else thought and do what the Father said. The church loses its impact when we complain instead of contribute. When we concede instead of intercede. Don't give up. Pain is temporary. Quitting lasts forever. You can go through pain and still get through it. But you'll live back. One of the things you can't do is relive a moment that you quit. You say, well, Pastor Tony, I quit on something a long time ago. You can pick it up today. Say, God, I want to be better, not bitter. Amen? I want to be better, not bitter. I'm going to read this quote from Max, and I'm going to pray. Max Lucado. He said this, God never said that the journey would be easy, but he did say that the arrival will be worthwhile. Amen? Can I tell you? Let his praise be on your lips, even through the, even through the middle mess. Let the miracle happen. Amen? All across this room, bow your heads all across this room. Father, thank you that you love us, you care about us, and that you're right smack in the middle of our miracle. Lord, you're right there. I pray for progress in the process. I pray that we would stand firm and believe that no matter what we go through in this life, you are right in the middle with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.